Well, humans have always been allergic to something, bee stings, certain foods, horse hair. That one was particularly inconvenient for the son of a Roman emperor who went into battle on a horse and then couldn't see because of a severe rash. In the industrialised modern world, asthma, eczema and food allergies are higher than they were even just 50 years ago. And medical anthropologist Theresa McPhail is an Associate Professor of Science and Technology Studies at Stevens Institute of Technology. A personal tragedy led her to ask questions about why allergies are on the rise, what makes our bodies overly sensitive, and what can be done about it. Her new book is called Allergic, Our Irritated Bodies in a Changing World. And Teresa McPhail joins me now. Hello. Hello. And um, I might ask you once again, with apologies, to share the story of what happened to your father, because I know it was quite a catalyst for you. It was. So my father was driving in his car on a late summer day, actually in August, and he stopped at a stop sign and just happened to have his window down. And a bee flew in the window, stung him in the neck, and that started a reaction. He knew he was sensitive to bee stings, Mm. but didn't know that he was that allergic to bee stings. And unfortunately, at the time, there weren't a lot of people with epinephrine or EpiPens around. And so he lived far away from a hospital. So he was dead within 30 minutes. He never got the help that he clearly so desperately needed. And knowing what you know now, what was happening in your father's body in that moment? So basically, his immune cells that line all of our skin and anywhere that comes into contact with the outside world, so your respiratory tract, your intestinal tract, and your skin, they all have these things called mast cells, which are basically just white blood cells, and their whole purpose is to protect us. And so when they find something that they think is harmful or dangerous, they send out a warning signal, which you guys are all familiar with. It's called histamine. Mm. And so histamine drives a lot of things in our body. So when a mast cell is injured, it sends out histamine, which alerts other mast cells to send out histamine. So you get a chain reaction going. And what histamine does is it causes our running noses, our itchy eyes. It can cause rashes in people with asthma and with people having an anaphylactic attack. It uh, can constrict the muscles around the lungs to make it harder to breathe. And also with an anaphylactic event, it will dilate the blood vessels. And so your blood pressure drops really, really quickly, which can send you into a cardiac event, which is exactly what happened to my father. And all of that happens within minutes, and the process is usually complete around 30 minutes in. And I'm sure you've asked yourself this question, Teresa, why him? Why does his body react that way when, of course, for most of us, our bodies don't react that way when we get stung by a bee? That's basically why I started this whole process Mm. is I really wanted to answer that question. And it turns out it's a really difficult question to ask. For most people, millions and millions of people are stung every year. And if you're listening to this, it's a very, very, very small fraction of people will have the reaction that my father did. Mm. And it turns out that at some point in the past, his immune system decided that bee venom was not a great thing. And every time you come into contact with something that you're 
immune cells have decided is a foe instead of a friend, the reaction gets a little bit stronger. And so he was probably stung several times in his past. And that sting just happened to be the sting that sent his immune system into overdrive. Are you allergic to bees too? Well, that's really interesting. I don't know. Um, So I know, I know. For a lot of people, it's really confusing. So the test that we get, um, so when you get a skin test, you're really testing for sensitivity, but it requires a certain antibody reaction. So it requires your antibodies known as IgE to respond and trigger mast cells and produce histamine. So what you're seeing when you get a welt on your skin is that histamine response. But some of us actually have really low levels of the IgE antibody anyway, and we don't react to the test. So I unfortunately am one of them. So there's no real way of knowing if I'm allergic to bees unless I'm stung by one. And, you know, I'm not really willing to go through that Mm, to find out. No. So the $64,000 question, Teresa, why are more people being diagnosed with allergies? Well, there's a genetic component. So a lot of us are what's called atopic. So we're more prone to allergies. So a lot of people do have higher levels of that IgE and their bodies are just primed. But what has happened over the last couple of hundred of years is that our immune systems have lost some of the things that they're used to being around. So some friendly bacteria and some of the foods that we eat. Mm. And we have gained a lot of things that, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, a thousand years ago, we wouldn't have never have come into contact with. So air pollution, a lot of the chemicals and plastics that we use, antibiotics, We've changed our food dramatically. And so our immune systems, I like to say that our immune systems are like we're running Windows 95, <laughs> but, <we're, laughs> but it, just like a computer, uh, unfortunately, we can't upgrade that system. So we're trying to do everything in the modern world, but we're running a really old biological system. How bad does it have to be to be considered an allergy, by the way? It's, it really depends. I mean, as long as your immune system is responding. So the difference is, is a lot of people will have an intolerance and that's totally different. In an intolerance, you're not really responding with your immune system. So something else is going on. A good example is milk allergy versus lactose intolerance. You're just, you're having similar symptoms, but the thing driving that is really different. In one case, it's just a lack of an enzyme that helps your body break down Mm -hmm. the milk protein. And in the other, your mast cells and the other cells are responding to milk as though it's a threat. So it can seem very similar uh, intolerance, but it is dramatically different just because of the mechanism that's driving it. So as long as your immune system is responding, you have an allergy. And they can change. So you might think, oh, I just have a mild allergy. Well, that could be the case today, but they're not consistent. So your your level of response can change in relationship to how stressed you are, how tired you are, how many times you come into contact with something. And even something as simple as the time of day can that you're exposed to the thing can really make a difference. So as long as that's responding, we say you have an allergy. Uh, one in eight New Zealanders has asthma. It's very high here. Do do we consider asthma an allergic reaction or is that something else too? 
It's really interesting. So more and more people are including it, and that's because it is an immune response. Mm -hmm. So there are people who have that reaction, and it's not based on an allergic trigger. And so some people keep that separate, and they say, you know, someone has like exercise-induced asthma and versus an allergy-induced asthma. So somebody is responding to an oak pollen, say, in the air, and then going into an asthmatic attack. But more and more immunologists are comfortable calling asthma an allergic condition because it does involve the exact same pathway that uh, the allergies do. We've tended to think of our immune systems as a mini police force attacking things that shouldn't be in our bodies, although you spoke to a Dr. Avery August at Cornell University, he had a different analogy. He he thought of them as the the immune cells as the curators of our body. What's the difference? Well, it's it's not just thinking of them as just responding in an aggressive way, right? So if you think of the immune cells as a police force, you're going to ignore all the other functions that they do. And for instance, if you think of them like that, then why don't they react to something like a food protein? Food proteins are foreign. And so when they come into our body, if that is the logic you're using, then the immune cells would recognize them as foreign and just want to boot them immediately. But of course, in a healthy person, that's not what happens at mm. all. And so basically, it's better to think of them as deciding what's okay to stay in us and on us. And in the case of food protein to be broken down and become part of us and what's not okay. So you can still think of it as kind of a doorman deciding who gets <laughs> to come in and come out, but it's not as aggressive as thinking of it as like a police force. I'm talking to medical anthropologist, Teresa McPhail, uh, from Stevens Institute of Technology. Her book is called Allergic, Our Irritated Bodies in a Changing World. Why is pollen such a problem, Teresa? Well, it's always been, it was one of the earliest problems. So hay fever is actually the very first allergy that comes onto the scene in the medical community in the 1800s. And what's going on is there's simply more pollen in the air, and that's related to things like longer growing seasons, especially in the northern hemisphere, um, climate change, of course, like if you're getting warmer areas that can affect your pollen load in the air. So there's simply a quantity problem. There's more pollen because of all of that. Mm. But also um, they have access to more nitrogen because of air pollution. So there's more plants. So something like ragweed or poison ivy or like some plants just love uh, carbon and there's more carbon in the air and there's more nitrogen in the soil because of air pollution. So there's just more plants, more pollen. And so even we've been seeing even people who, you know, maybe a decade ago were not struggling during the pollen season. We've been seeing more and more people develop what's known as adult onset allergies. So they're developing a problem. And it's it's simply because of the sheer amount in the air. Right. And are allergies hereditary? They are. So again, you can inherit the tendency. But it's interesting because no two allergies are alike. It's very individual. So say your mom has an allergy to peanuts, you might have eczema or you might have hay fever. It's not necessarily going to look like your parents' allergies, but uh -huh. we do know that they tend to 
families for sure. One doctor who treats a lot of people with eczema says he'd like people to stop looking for the causes of their allergies because it can be stressful and stress doesn't help. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Unfortunately, people spend a lot of time trying to figure out what their trigger is. And that's especially the case when that's difficult. So eczema patients struggle with that. Sometimes food allergy patients struggle with that. And um, of us never quite figure out what's causing our hate or asthma. And it's better to just focus on treating the symptoms and figuring out what you can do to help your immune calm down. And it is true that there's this chicken and egg relationship with stress that stress can uh, trigger an increase in histamine response. Like I said, your mast cells are really kind of alert to anything that is considered a danger. But um, allergies can be stressful also. So you can get that as well. So if you have a food allergy or an eczema or an asthma and you're constantly worried about coming into contact or you're you're feeling terrible, you're not Mm. sleeping a lot, that can also cause an anxiety reaction. And in fact, they've found that uh, the parents of people, uh, the parents of children with food allergies have stress levels as great as someone who just had a recent heart attack. So it's really, really serious levels of anxiety. Okay, let's look at some some things you can affect then. Apparently sedentary lifestyles can contribute to allergies. They think that that's partly it. And there's a link to vitamin D. Mm. So vitamin D does impact our immune cells. And so if you're not outside you're not getting sunshine. And so a lot of us have lower levels of vitamin D than we've ever historically had. But the other thing is, is staying indoors more often has led to, as one allergist said to me, we're sitting on couches that are infested with dust mites, (laughs) which love moist human environments. So we're indoors and we're getting a lot more exposures with indoor air uh, and dust, dust mites, molds, And that could be driving some of this change that we're seeing as well. You mentioned this briefly before. How could climate change cause us problems? Well, I mean, so you have more things in the air. Um, So you're, you're having these changes to growing seasons. So that is making a significant difference to a lot of people because they're seeing earlier development of their symptoms. So maybe they used to get in the north allergies in say March, and now they're seeing them in February, maybe Mm. late January because the plants are blooming and the same at the other end. So they're getting an extended season because the killing frosts aren't happening as early, but then we're getting things like wildfires. And so the particulate matter from wildfires really irritates the lungs. And actually there's a relationship between particulate matter in pollution and wildfire smoke and pollen. So pollen can actually get delivered deeper into the lungs and potentially you can develop an asthma or a problem related to frequent exposure to something like wildfire smoke. And then on the other hand, you've got a lot more wet weather in different areas. So a lot more flooding and that can increase mold spore levels. And so like a study was done in New Orleans after Katrina, a hurricane, and even years later, you saw an increase, an uptick in asthmatic 
uh, mm. effects related to the mold, the increased mold, just from all that leftover dampness everywhere. So all of that is having an effect. And, and really, we're seeing that there's not really anywhere that's quote unquote safe from the effects of climate change on allergies, especially respiratory allergies. We can't talk about the mysteries of allergies without mentioning the alpha gal allergy. <laughs> How did that get its name and what is it? It's a really interesting allergy. And, and luckily for you, New Zealanders, you don't have it yet. Oh, good. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is an American problem so far. And this actually dovetails nicely with the climate change angle as well. So what happened was in the 2000s, early 2000s, uh, people noticed that people were having delayed reactions to food. So usually in a food allergy, if you ingest something like a peanut and you have a peanut allergy, mm. you're seeing a response really quickly, like a few minutes mm -hmm. later. And this alpha-gal is hours later. So what they realized was that a specific type of tick called the Lone Star Tick. And here in the U.S., its main habitat used to be the South. But because of climate change... It moved north. So now we have it as far north as Canada, actually. Mm. And its bite is really unique because it causes an itching reaction. So it activates that histamine response that I was talking about yeah. earlier. And so what happens is it will eat a tasty, delicious meal that has something called alpha-gal. Alpha-gal is a sugar molecule that's found in all red meat. So deer, deer have it, um, cows, pigs. And so what will happen is when the tick then bites a person, its last meal was a deer, what it's doing is it's injecting its saliva, but also a little bit of trace of that alpha-gal. And in some people, what that is doing is training the immune system that this is not good. And mm. so the next time they ingest a meat that has alpha-gal, their bodies are responding like someone who has a peanut allergy. The only difference is, is that sometimes it can take two to three hours for the symptoms to show up. And it's uh, people getting nauseous, uh, people developing all over body hives. It's quite serious. It can sometimes diminish after a few years, but only if you don't get another tick bite. So if you keep getting tick bites, it's going to keep reinvigorating that response. And so it's an interesting example of how our immune systems are really having to deal with things that in the past they wouldn't have. And we're starting to see new allergies. As far as we know, alpha-gal didn't exist before. And we can't really predict them. Like no one would have predicted that consequence. Incredible. And I just wanted to also mention the microbiome because it comes up in conversation here quite a bit. Um, you know, what's going on with the collection of bacteria in and on your body. You notice a difference, don't you, between the microbiome of people with allergies and those without? Absolutely. So they've done research here at the University of Chicago looking at the gut microbiomes of children that have milk allergy and children that don't. And what they found is just a dramatic difference in the makeup of those bacteria. So the types and the numbers of the bacteria are dramatically different. And what that suggests to researchers is that antibiotics and changes in, in our diets 
might be altering our gut microbes to actually prime us to be more allergic. So what they're surmising is that there's a deep connection between those friendly bacteria that exist in our guts and on our skin and in our nose and our immune cells. So our immune cells and those friendly uh, bacteria talk to each other and help train the immune system. And if that gets disturbed, so say another research uh, study found that if you give children, young children below the age of two repeated doses of uh, antibiotics, then their risk for developing eczema, asthma, and food Mm. allergy increases dramatically. And that would be because obviously the um, antibiotics are, are altering that gut microbiome. And so we're starting to really look at that relationship. And there's a possibility that if we can figure out which bacteria are helping us to become less allergic and more tolerant, then maybe we can kind of fix some of these problems early on by seeding the gut with those bacteria. But it's still really early stages with that. Yeah. Any other new breakthrough treatments that you're excited about when it comes to allergies? I mean, that is exciting, but also we do have some drugs that have come online for people with really severe allergies, um, and they are biologic drugs. So they're using uh, very specific precision tools to try to disrupt that histamine response that I was talking about. And so in the past, all we had was immunosuppressants, which is like kind of like using a sledgehammer Mm. on the problem because it just turns down the immune system. But we don't want that for a variety of reasons. You don't want a secondary infection, for instance. And steroids are really bad long-term use. And so some of these new drugs have dramatically less side effects and less severe side effects. And they can be really, really a miracle drug for some of the people taking them, especially things people with eczema who forever just had steroids. Now they have some new tools to try out. So that's exciting. In the meantime, what is your advice to us? How should we live our life to be as unaffected as possible uh, by allergies to reduce our chance of developing them? Well, it's really critical to rethink our connection with microbes. So, you know, it's always been something that we've thought was bad you know, and obviously some of them still are, like I'm not suggesting cholera is good, but we have to kind of stop using so many antimicrobial products around our homes. Um, Maybe stop scrubbing yourself so much with harsh detergents. We just need to kind of be more open to exploring the relationships that we have with the microbes that live in us and on us, because it's really clear that if we simply take a seek out and destroy method, we're accidentally destroying things that are helping us. And so I think that's something we can all do, right? You can stop using harsh detergents on your dishes, like use mild soap, maybe shower every other day if you're not in a very hot climate, um, that might be something. Change your sheets less frequently. And so just thinking about giving your body exposure to your natural bacteria that's around and not going too crazy on the antiseptic hand washing and sprays. That seems to be something we can all do. 
and just helping kids get early exposure. So having a dog is good. Um, studies have shown if you have a dog in the home when a child is younger, they tend to have less allergies yeah. when, as adults. And it's probably because they're bringing in a lot of bacteria and then licking the kids. And it turns <laughs> out, <laughs> turns out that's okay, you know? So just thinking about things like that and then introducing foods. I mean, unfortunately, we made a mistake. And for years, we told parents not to introduce any allergenic foods. So soy, milk, eggs until the child was older. And now we know actually that was exactly the wrong thing wow. to do. And so as early as six months, like minuscule amounts of something, just introducing it to the child's immune system, it could still have a response. And, and that can be really scary for parents to know that they could, you know, be causing a reaction, but it's better to know soon. And we have found that those early introductions can actually prevent the immune system from developing a more severe response. And so when we changed the recommendations, uh, there was a big study in Australia that found the rate of peanut allergy once they changed the recommendation for peanuts, it went down dramatically. Gosh. So we're on we're on the right path with that. But basically, that's all we can do is just think about what we're putting on us and what we're putting in us. We can also make sure we're getting enough fiber. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Uh, here in America, 93% of Americans don't eat enough fiber. Gosh. And, and that is really concerning because fiber is great for our gut microbiome. Mm. And so if you can just eat whole fruit and veg and you know whole wheats and try to hit, eat whole foods as much as possible, that also could have a really big effect. So those are all things we can all do individually in our day to day. But we also need to, you know, really as a society, really get a handle on things like climate change and pollution and, you know, maybe start to regulate some of these plastics because there is nascent links to all of the plastics that are in our environment. Our, our immune systems are kind of getting confused by them, too. So that's something we can do collectively over time. Great work on the book, Teresa. It's called Allergic, Our Irritated Bodies in a Changing World. And I've been speaking to author and medical anthropologist Teresa McPhail. Thanks for your time today. Great. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was a pleasure.